Welcome to the East Coast Believers Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires and encourages you to grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Norm. Hey, let me um, just kind of go into this series real quick, and I want to get into some really the meat of some things. And I started a new series in, um, in for the month of April for me, and um, it's based out of a verse in Proverbs chapter 4. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, and, and every once in a while, the Bible gives one of these absolute verses that's just, it's one of those verses that, like, there's no wiggle room in it, and there's just no way out of it. You can't preach around it. You can't say, well, that doesn't apply to me. This is one of those absolute verses. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, guard your heart. Here's the reason. Above everything else that you do as a Christian, guard your heart. Here's, the, here's why. For it determines the course of our life. And too many of us are like just allowing life to happen. We're not, we're not uh, designing our life. We're not, we're not uh, determining how our life's going to turn out. And so life just happens. And we're not liking like what's going on in our life. And here's what the Bible says. If you, if you want to change the course of your life, like we're changing marriages, we're changing jobs, we're changing people, we're doing this, changing cities, changing churches. And here's what the Bible says. Hey, if you want to change your life, guard your heart. It's the, it's the number one responsibility of a Christian is to guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. And uh, so if you don't like the way life is going, guard your heart. And I get it. Like, like I'm, I'm like you. I'm busy. And I'm like, man, come on, God. I don't want to do one more thing that I need to do. Like I pray, read my Bible, be generous, all that. But I, I don't want to. But here's what the Bible says. If you don't do this, then life is just going to happen. And I know, like, there's some things that God does for us that's called grace, and that's pretty cool. It's free. You just get it by receiving it. But then there's some things that God wants you to do. And the maintenance of your heart is one of the most important things that you could ever do in your life. Like, if you own a car, you got, like, little lights that pop on, at least my car, little th- bells that ring, time to get an oil change, time to change this. And, and, and we do that. We'll maintain our cars. We'll remodel our homes, maintain our homes. But the Bible says the most important thing you could do is guard your heart. Why? It affects the course of your life. You could almost say it like this. I know when I make this statement that it's going to really cause a lot of people to bristle against it but it's completely scriptural. And here's what the Bible is basically saying. God gave you the ability to design your life. Like if you don't like your life, quit blaming God. If you don't like your life, quit blaming the devil. If you don't like your life, quit blaming our nation. Like God gave you the ability to design your life. Can I hear an amen? Here's why. Because Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above everything else. For it determines the course of your life. It is the epicenter of your life, your heart. And Jesus, I don't know for certain if this is the truth or not, but it might be a stretch for you. But I think maybe perhaps this could be. There's a parable in Mark chapter 4 that we're going to talk about. We talked about it last week, and it's called the parable of the sower. And sort of the gist of it is, is the sower sows the word and it's going to produce a harvest in your life. But there's four different types of ground and they're called soil and there's, there's hard soil, rocky soil and good soil and all this different soil. And, and, and Jesus was talking about the condition of your heart. And maybe perhaps he was basing that parable off this thought that if you guard your heart above all else, it will determine the course of your life. And today I'm going to answer the question, 
I'm a Christian. I go to church. I try this Christian stuff. I try this Bible stuff, but it just doesn't seem to be working for me. Why not? Jesus answers that question in the parable of the sower, and he's talking about soil. Good seed planted in bad soil will not produce a harvest. Right? It just won't. And you're like wondering, I've got good seed, I've got the Bible here, but it's not, doesn't seem to be working for me. Well, maybe it's the condition of your heart. And what the writer of Proverbs said, guard it because it determines the course of your life. In the Old Testament, the word heart is used 800 times. A little more than 800, about 807, I think, or nine. And uh, out of those 800 times, uh, 600 times is talking about the human anatomy or your spirit. 200 times, it's talking about your mind. It's talking about like, like, like what you think. And here's what the Bible is trying to convey to us. What you allow to go through your mind will get into your heart. So how you think will get into your heart. So I like to say it like this. People will come in for meetings, they want to meet with me or one of our team and for counseling and they say, and they almost always start, well, I feel this way. And what oftentimes I will say to someone who says, I feel this way, I will say, well, your feelings are a product of your thought life. And so you want me to change your feelings, but if you change what you think about, you'll change what you feel in your life. And so here's what you need to do. You don't need me to counsel you. You've got to counsel your feelings. And how you do that is by controlling your thought life. So if you can control your thought life, you can control how you feel. Uh, I read this quote years and years ago. I don't know who, who made this quote. It's not mine. If it was, I'd write a book. But here it is. Your thoughts are the father of your deeds. Like if you don't like the deeds of your life, go back to what you're thinking about. The Bible says it all starts in your thought life. That's why this verse in Philippians chapter four and verse eight says, you do something, you fix your thoughts. Now, why am I going this direction at the beginning of this? Because I'm trying to show you that life doesn't just have to happen. You can design your life. Like if you don't like what you're feeling, do this. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, which you won't see any of these on the bachelorette program <laughs> or the bachelor. I know I went there, uh, but you, you won't see any of that stuff on there. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Like how many, like that's a lot of work. But here's the end result of that. The rest of that verse in verse nine says, then the God of peace will be with you. And you're like, well, where's my peace? He said, if you can get your thought life under control, then you can have peace. Last week, we talked about the first type of ground. It's the type of ground that Jesus said, there's this guy out there sowing. He's sowing seed, and it's fallen by the, on the path out of his bag. And we talked about that you're not gonna produce a harvest in your life if you're unintentional. In other words, we talked about an unfocused heart will not produce a harvest in your life. So if you wanna change that, we went through what we called a detox, a spiritual detox this week, and we talked about last week how to have a focused heart. Today I wanna to go into the second type of ground, and it's gonna be, last week was very obvious. The problem with this type of ground this week, this type of heart, this type of soil, it's not obvious. 
But this is the one that America is gonna deal with the most, the Western church. Mark chapter four, here it is in verse five, it says this. Other seed, second type of ground, fell on shallow soil. So we're gonna talk about shallow soil with underlying rock. So here we have it. We have some soil with underlying rock. I want you to get a picture of what that is. He said, now here's the trick about this. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. And so today we're gonna to talk about shallow soil. And here's the problem with it. It's so hard to recognize because you're in church, you hear the word, you receive it, you're happy, and you leave on Sunday and you think, I heard it, I got it. But how many know Monday comes for everybody? <laughs> Tuesday comes for a lot of us, right? That's what happens, and like, what happened to that? And so we're hearing it, but we're not experiencing it. We're wondering, like, what's going on? And so when Jesus told this parable in Mark chapter four, I don't have time to go through all of it this morning. So he's telling, there's a group that gathered. Here's what happened. There was a group that gathered and there was the disciples over here and then there were some religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees and there was just some other people from the town. They were all there and Jesus talking about the soil. And then when he got done talking, he walked away with the disciples and in Mark chapter four and verse 10, somewhere around there, they said, Jesus, like what are you talking about? They didn't understand. What do you mean by this? I remember years ago, I was in my late 20s, mid 20s probably, and so about 20, probably 25 years ago, and I just started in the ministry, and, and um, I, I, I got invited. Uh, uh, the guy I was working with was a well-known television speaker and, and um, just, just was uh, very connected. Well, I got invited to this meeting with them, and we were in this back room. There's probably about 25 or 30 ministers back in that room. If I called out their names, a lot of you would know some of these well-known uh, speakers and teachers that you see write books and television, that sort of thing. And so I'm in my 20s. They're probably all in their 40s and 50s and 60s. And well, I was eating my lunch, and I felt this hand come on my shoulder. And I heard this voice, and I recognized this voice, but I didn't know who it was. And he said, he said, hello, young man, how are you today? And I said, good, and I looked up, and there's Oral Roberts. And he had his hand on my shoulder. He just leaned over, I'm eating, maybe eating something, and, and he said, uh, so what are you preaching on now? And I, listen, I was so nervous. I was just fresh out of Bible school. All I could say, utter was one word, God. That's all I said, God. He said, well, that's a good subject. That's all I could say, right? And so anyways, so he does this. He pulls up a chair to our table and sits down right beside me. I'm fresh out of Bible school. There's Oral Roberts. Some well-known television ministers are all on this table. And they start talking about what they're preaching on. I had a thought go through my mind. And here's what it was. Do not talk, smile. <laughs> and you just nod. And so we sat there for about an hour. I just listened to them. And you know, this is back before iPhones and all that. So, so, so I didn't dare take out notes like I'm going to preach all this stuff you guys are talking about. And um, I just listened. And so we got in the car and the guys said, you know what they're talking about? I said, I didn't have a clue. He said, neither did I. He said, well, you were smiling like you did. I said, that's what you do. You fake it. <laughs> and so Jesus, same thing, he's telling this parable. He's just like giving it out. And they're like, man, Jesus, what does this mean? What does it mean to have this 
shallow soil on top of this rocky ground. And Jesus explains it in Mark chapter 4 and verse 16. He said this, And in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept it and welcome it with joy. Let's stop there. That describes look, what we're doing today. Like you hear the word, you accept it, you receive it with joy. Like there's so many churches to choose from today. If you don't like this one, there's a lot of good churches out there. If you don't like my style, there's other styles out there. And so you can go to a church where you're going to hear, receive it with joy. And I think that describes the American modern day church. And in verse 17, it says this, but they have no real root in themselves. And so they endure for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, here it is, they are offended. This type of ground is an offended heart. And it says they become displeased, they become indignant, and they become resentful. This type of ground is tricky because you receive it, but because you're living in offense, the Bible says you're displeased, you're indignant, you're resentful. Here's what it says happens to you, verse 17. These are the words of Jesus. Man, it's tough to hear. They stumble and they fall. The devil is after the word in your life. Like, let me tell you something about Christianity, guys. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's what it is. Like, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's why you hear me say, give God one year of your life. Like, go all out. Like, like, like become part of the church. Like, 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 go through grow. Be in a small group. Go through our conferences. Serve on a team. And after one year of doing that, man, you turned the sprint into a marathon. And here's what Jesus said. I, I, I don't know any way around it. I know it's sort of like in your face. And I'm not that kind of a preacher like in your face, but I can't think of a way around this. This is what he said. An offended heart is gonna cause you to stumble and fall. And offense, come on, we all deal with offense. Every one of us. He said this type of ground, you're gonna stumble and you're gonna fall. I love Psalm 119 because of the way it words it. In verse 165, it says, Great peace have they, who love your law, nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. And here's the thing. Like this is easy to hear. This is even easy for me to preach because I know you're all, we all deal with this. But it's hard to do. This is one of those messages. Like if I, like I it's easy for me to preach this because I know we're all struggling in these areas because we all have people in our life. We all struggle with, you. you're thinking of somebody right now, but it's hard to do. And let me just help you out with something. The older you get, it doesn't become any easier. Kind of people think, well, if I just can become a Christian for 10 years, I'll never deal with this. Good luck, Jack. It's not the way it works. And here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to affect your destiny. I love, we had a speaker a couple years ago named John Bevere, and he wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. And in that book, I, took, I love this quote. He said, when you deal with offense in your life, when you're willing to address it, you will position yourself to step into your destiny. That's what he'll it'll allow you to do that, step into your destiny. 
Like how many of us that are offended, ticked off, aren't fulfilling our destiny? And the, and the word offense, it comes from this Greek word called uh, scandalon. And it's where we get our English word scandal. And, uh, and they're actually the word, and if you, you could look this up in a Strong's Concordance, you could right now just get on your phone and go, what does that word mean, Strong's? And it's going to tell you that the word scandalon means it's a stick for the bait of a trap. Generally, this is a snare. It's a stumbling block or an offense. So when the, when the Bible was written in the Greek, scandalon, it meant stumbling block, offense. But in their mind, they saw there was a stick attached to a trap and something was on it that the animal wanted, and they would pull it, and the trap would fall on them. And you've heard me preach on this before if you've been to our church for any length of time, because this is one of my, this is one of the words that I use. But here's the deal. A few weeks ago, I was getting prepping for this series, and I'm, I went a little bit further, and read a little bit longer in the definition. And I saw a part two of this. And actually, the proper definition of this, and this is exactly the way Strong's reads it. Properly, scandal on, is the trigger of the trap. The mechanism closing down on the unsuspecting victim. And so I just thought, Jesus is saying this is this type of ground, offense. The Bible addresses it. I just wanted to get you out of an offended heart so you could have some results, fruit in your life. It's part of guarding your heart. We've heard of the phrase hard heart. That's what we talked about last week. A distracted heart. Well, here's another phrase, an offended heart. You've got to guard your life against that because it affects the course of your life. And so I kind of thought, thought to myself, I want to jot down some thoughts I have about offense and kind of pass them on to you and then talk to you about like how how do, you get like, how do you get results in your life? Like, how could you leave here today? Because there are going to be some people that came and offended. Like, you're going to leave unoffended today. We're going to work on that, and they're going to help you with the power of God. But I think offense, here's some thoughts I have. It's one of the greatest tools of the enemy to break up God-ordained ties. Like your job, your family, your church. It just does. It just breaks up God-ordained ties. This June, June 11th, in about six weeks, I'm going to be married 24 years to my wife. Yeah. Five kids later, we lived overseas, all this stuff. But, but let me just tell you something here. And I, I, my wife's way in the back over there sitting with her friend. And, um, and, and, and let me just tell you this. You're, you're here today, and you know about our church, and, and, and you know me because I'm up here more, and you get to see me more. But I, I need to be real honest with you. I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for my wife. I am who I am because of her. And that's the truth. Like, I'm not, like, guys, I'm not just preaching. I'm just telling you that's just the way it is. I wouldn't be half the man I am today without my wonderful wife believing in me, helping me, encouraging me, telling me we're going to make it. But let me just tell you something. We have a far from perfect marriage. We have a great marriage, an excellent marriage. We have five kids. You know what it's like in our house. I still love her. Someone said, you have five kids, you must love kids. No, I love my wife. <laughs> but let me say this to you. The enemy would work overtime. Overtime to try to cause that marriage to dispel. Cause that marriage to break apart. Here's the reason why. He's after her destiny, 
my destiny. He wants to break up God-ordained ties. Psalm 66 and verse 12 says it like this. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire, tribulation, water, but you brought us out to a place of abundance. And so here's the second, th third thing I want to say about offenses. Offenses are, it's just the way it is, it's, they are inevitable. If you're here today, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I ask you to raise your hand and say, have you ever been offended? 100% of you should put both hands up in the air right away. Because you know why? You live on planet earth. If you're here today and you say, well, I don't, I'm not easily offended. It's not a problem for me. I don't ever have offense in my life. I'm going to take you to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. And this is what he said. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. People come to church and say, I want a word from God. Here's a word from God for you right now. People are mean and they're going to mess with you. That's just, that's just the way it goes. You can drive down today out of here and you're going to go to a restaurant. You're going to go down somewhere and someone's going to tick you off. Everybody. So you think you're the only one that has a crazy family. Everybody has a crazy family. There's just like, it's just, it's impossible. The Bible says, but all fences will come. People will do stupid stuff. It's almost like it's their life mission to mess with you. And right now, I wish I could see into your thought life. You have a picture of somebody in front of you. But how do you handle this? We know it. It affects our destiny. It affects our God-ordained ties. Everybody deals with it. This is, too, this is too important not to deal with. Too much is on the line right here. And I want to go back and tell you a story in the Old Testament. I'm not going to have you turn there because you know this story. And if you've been in a church for any length of time, you would have heard this story. It's one of the first stories you would have ever heard. And it's the story of a young man. The Bible picks up his story when he was probably about 12 years old, 13 years old, and he had this dream. And in this dream, he saw his brothers bowing down and worshiping him, and even his mom and dad. And it really ticked off his brothers. It kind of got them upset. They said, like, what are, you, what are you doing here, man? And so they're ticked off. But the dad liked this boy so much, it was his favorite. And his name was Joseph. And he got the coat of many colors that meant that he was the favorite. Well, one day, he's just walking along, do minding his own business, walking along. And his brothers see him coming. And they say, there's Joseph. And they say, let's do something. Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. Like, you think your family's messed up? <laughs> You're upset because you got a crazy uncle or something. Your brothers aren't trying to take you out because of a dream. And so they go to kill him, and then all of a sudden the one says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just hurt him. Let's just beat him up. And they threw him in a pit. Left them to die. And all of a sudden, just coincidentally, along comes this caravan of slave traders, and they say, let's sell our brother into slavery. They yank him out of the pit, and they sell him, beat up, bound, gagged, and they sell him into slavery. Come on, how many of your life really isn't all that bad right now? 
And, then, and this is what he does, because he's a good guy, and God's hands on his life. He goes and works for this guy named Potiphar. Actually not even working, he's a slave. He works hard, and Potiphar's hand is upon him. Well, Potiphar's probably pretty rich, it would appear, and he's probably eating too much. He's probably a little round. He travels too much. And, um, and Joseph's a young man, 17, 18. He's got a six-pack. He looks, he looks good. And uh, Potiphar's wife, one day, he, he, Potiphar's gone. She says, hey, I like you. And she makes a sexual advance towards him. Joseph says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going down that route. I'm, I know no one will know, but God does, and he ran. He did the right thing. But for doing the right thing, you know the story, Potiphar's wife gets mad, she throws him into prison. How many of you are glad you're not thrown into prison for doing the right thing? Like, life really isn't all that bad right now, is it? Well, he's in prison, just minding his own business, but when God's hand's on you, you always rise to the top. So he rises to the top. There's, coincidentally, there's a butler and a baker in there. Almost sounds like a movie, the butler and the baker. A good board game for Clue or something. And so the butler and the baker, they have these dreams. And they're like, what do these dreams mean? And they go, Joseph can tell you. And he said, one of you is going to die. One of you is going to go back into the palace. But when you go back into the palace, please tell them there's a guy in prison named Joseph who didn't do anything wrong. And the guy says, you got it. I sure will. The butler said that, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. He forgot. How many just ever had anybody just disappoint you? Failed expectations. When you did nothing but right. That's Joseph's story. Well, then years go by, there's this famine. God uses Joseph's wisdom and they save. And actually, that, it's that time when Egypt became, like they weren't a superpower up until then. They became the superpower because they had all the food and all the money. And God used a Jewish guy named Joseph to do that. Well, the brothers are hungry. They come to Egypt. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, we pick up right there. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am, am I in the place of God? Like, let, let me just tell you something. Nobody can take you out of the place of God but you. Do you think people can? They can't take you out of the place of God. He said, you intended to harm me? But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, he could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have reciprocated. He could have used that verse that we all like to memorize, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like, you do me wrong. I'll... He didn't do any of that. But if anybody deserved to do that, he could have. So here's the parable that Jesus said. He said, some of you are this ground that on the top layer, you look pretty good. And you hear the words, you accept it, and you receive it. And it, it kind of looks like it's working, but it's really not. And so this is a little more complicated than last week. Because last week, you know your ground's hard. This week, it looks like everything's okay on the surface, but on the bottom, it's not okay. So things aren't growing and things aren't working. And so Jesus begins to deal with it. 
that right underneath this good soil is pain, is hurt, is resentment, and unforgiveness. And he uses, and I, like, I love this, he uses the illustration for them and said, here's what's going on in your life. Like up here, you've got some good soil. So on Sundays, everything is working. But Monday through Saturdays, it stinks. Because you're getting a little bit of results on Sunday, but the minute sun hits you, hits you, the minute life goes after you, there's no depth. And listen, this is all good ground. This all represents offense, hurt, pain, bitterness, resentment, failed expectations. This could have been Joseph's life. Jesus said, I want to do something. I want to teach you how to turn all of this into soil and get the rocks out of your life. That's what he's talking about when you have to guard your heart above everything else for it determines the course of your life. The message translation uses this phrase. It's deceptive. This type of ground is deceptive because you think it's working, but it's not really working. So I want to do something this morning with you in about nine minutes. I want to talk to you about how to change this, get all that out and get good soil in there so you can become good ground. Like this could be you and we all deal with it. So I just want to wrap up this morning about how do, you res how do we respond to offense? Let me just tell you what I'm getting ready to share with you. Let me give you a disclaimer. It's going to take faith. Faith is not based on feeling. Faith is based on God's word. So here's what I'm going to tell you. The things that I'm going to share with you to do, you're not going to want to do. The things that I'm going to share with you to do today are going to be hard. It's going to take faith. But it works. Like, I, like I'm going to shoot straight with you. I even quoted this week in one of our staff meetings, Oprah. And I think Oprah's got a lot of good stuff. Dr. Phil, all of these psychologists and psychiatrists got a, good, a lot of good stuff. And they can work. And I'm not saying not to do what they say, but I'm telling you, God's word always works. And so here's a couple thoughts I have how to get out of offense in your life. I'm just trying to change this to good ground. How do you do that? Number one is this. You have to realize that offense is affecting my relationship with God. It just is. It, that's the way it works. That's why the devil works overtime in your life to cause offense in your life. Here's what you don't know. Because I've used this, preachers use this phrase a lot, and when I say it, I think it's just gonna sort of just go in one ear and out the other. It's almost like white noise to you, but holding offense against someone is like drinking poison, expecting them to die. It's affecting. And here's the reason why. The enemy likes to do, because here's, here's the pattern. I've been at this for a long time now. I see it. I'm in church world my whole adult life. Here's what I see. When you get offended, you get mad, you separate, so it's affecting your relationship with God, then it affects your relationship with the church, then it affects your relationship with the people around the church, or the people that are bring, speaking life into you, and here's what you do. You become isolated. I was watching a special on Nat Geo several years ago now where 
the Yellowstone National Park was kind of getting out of sync. The ecosystem was getting out of sync in there. And they were trying to figure out what it was that was causing it to get out of sync. And, and, and so what they, they tried this experiment. They noticed that the wolf population had sort of gotten, had gotten like extinct in the park. And so they reintroduced these wolves in the Yellowstone National Park some time ago. And these wolves, what they would do is they would start eating caribou and these different sort of animals, these, these herb, animal, herb grass-eating animals. And, and, so, and so they'd eat them, and it would cause sort of the ecosystem to start getting back into shape again. It was a fascinating experiment. The waterways were getting clear again because there was just too much, too much competition for the grass and all that. And so there's too many of these, these animals, these caribou and that sort of thing. And so, and so I, I saw this special, and, and what they did was these wolves would hunt these massive animals. They could never take one out inside the herd because the herd was too strong when they ran together. So what they would do was they'd break apart this pack and the lead wolf would stand on the edge of a cliff or a bluff up there and he would watch these massive herds go through these valleys of grass. And he would just wait and watch and wait and watch. Meanwhile, the other 19 or so are hiding way off in the distance in the brush, he would just wait for one thing, for one of those animals to get distracted and separate from the herd. And the minute he saw that, he'd give the signal. And it was just amazing to watch their communication. These other pack of wolves would go and attack that animal. Never could take it out when it was in the herd, but when it was separate, it was vulnerable. Let me just tell you what the enemy likes to cause offense in your life. Here's the reason why. It affects your relationship with God. The end result of it is you become isolated. Like, so how do we respond to this? Number one, recognize it affects my relationship with God. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this thought down. You have to acknowledge my hurts. Like if somebody hurts you, acknowledge it. Don't stuff it. Don't say no big deal. Because I think this has been mistaught in the church. We've been, taught, we've been taught that if someone hurts me, you're not supposed to get hurt. And so something's wrong with you if someone hurts you. Come on, if someone hurts you, it just hurts. If someone disappoints you, it just hurts. Felt expectations are real. They're painful. They hurt. And we've been kind of like going along saying it's not supposed to hurt because you're a Christian. But when someone hurts you, it can be destructive. And we've sort of mishandled this. We've sort of thought, well, you're not supposed to acknowledge your hurts. And so we, we do what the psalmist David did. He said, Psalm 39, it said, so I, I kept very quiet. I became even more upset. I'm holding in my hand a Coke can. And I'm on this stupid cleanse right now, and I'm not allowed to have this. It just It, it really does feel good in my hand, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's almost halfway there. And... Uh, and full disclosure, yesterday was my birthday. I did have one. And, um, <laughs> but my wife made me. And um, might have been ulterior motives there. Uh, but but so, so you, here's a Coke can. And so you know, like, like so you, you get hurt. And uh, you, you, you keep quiet about it. Like you don't acknowledge it. And you become even more upset. And then you start thinking about it. You become even... Ang very angry on the inside. Am I talking to anybody here at all? Yeah. And here's, and, and maybe I'm the only one that does this. And as I think about it, 
my anger burns. Like you're just thinking about it. You go to bed at night, you think about it. You think, how could they do that to me? Don't they know who I am? And so we judge others. We judge others on their actions. We judge ourselves on our intentions. Well, I didn't mean to hurt you, but you did. And so your anger burns. And so what happens is, just kidding you, you, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Here's this wonderful, quiet person who you think, I sit beside them in church, I serve with them. What? Here's what happened. They blew up because they never dealt with it. They weren't willing to acknowledge their hurts. One of the biggest lies that could ever be preached and taught in church is that time heals all wounds. That is stupid. (laughs) Time does not heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. And we're like, we're just hoping time, come on, time doesn't heal. It makes it worse sometimes. Jeez, we got to go to Jesus with it. See, here's what, we're created to be emotional beings. I'm going to go off path here for a moment. We're created to be emotional beings. One of our emotions that God gave us is anger. Anger is not a sin if it's handled properly. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. And so we're trying to stuff down a God. I know some of you are going to be like, that's the only thing I'm going to hear today. (laughs) Is that I can be angry about stuff. But be angry and sin not, is what the Bible says. Jesus was angry. Remember he went into the temple and overturned the tables? He was ticked off. Here's what the Bible says about anger. Depending upon how you manage your anger determines whether it's a sin or not. Blowing up is a sin. But if you can be angry about someone hurting you and acknowledge it and deal with it, that anger that God gave you does not become a sin. Number three. Can I have three more minutes with you? Number three is this, is pray. Like, and I don't mean like, Lord, get them. I don't mean like, Lord, you know, Lord, hurt them. I don't even pray this way for your spouse because I've done this. It doesn't work. Lord, help her see that I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> Give her a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, into my greatness and my perfection. You know what I'm talking about? That prayer doesn't work. Because prayer, prayer by nature is designed to change you, not other people. I'm gonna th- I, don't, I don't know any other way to throw this verse out than the way it is. Matthew 5, these are the words of Jesus. You have heard that the law says, love your enemies. I'm sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's what they knew. Jesus said, I'm changing it all. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How about this? How about pray first? Maybe God will resolve the issue. Have you thought about that? Like, what if I just prayed? What if I just prayed and God could resolve this? Because here's the deal. If you do natural things, like I have fun with cutting up on Oprah and all that, Dr. Phil and all that. Natural things get natural results. 
spiritual things get spiritual results. Like this Bible, it works. And if you, what if, like what if, I just dare you. What if you prayed for your boss? Prayed for your crazy uncle? What if you prayed for that person who hurt you? See, like our nation is so divided today along political lines. And you know what the church, we're so sad about this, we have the answer. You know what the Bible says to do? Pray for your leaders. So I didn't vote for them. Then you should really be praying for them. Every, every, the church is responsible. Like we, we have the answer. God says, this is what he says. He throws out a challenge. If my people, like he's almost like daring you. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. He's talking about a nation, but what if it was your family? What if it was your relationship? I will come and heal their land, heal your home, heal your marriage, heal your family. He's, I'll, I'll heal it. And here's the fourth point. I got to go. I'm done right here. And this is one of those points that you're just going to see all the time with me because this is what God gave me during my 21 days. And so you've already seen this a lot of my messages because it's just in my journals and this is my takeaway from my four words is what God gave me during my 21 days. And that was this victory comes in surrender and, and give this to God, whoever hurts you, whatever they did, we're going to give it to God. You, you want to turn this rocky ground into good ground. I just gave you, I just gave you the recipe to do that. Give it to God. It's a decision that you make. I know they hurt you. I know the pain is real. I know what they said. I know what they did. It hurts. It stinks. It's painful. But God, I'm not going to give them one more minute of my life. I'm going to guard my heart and it's going to change the course of my life. You say, what if I do this and they don't respond? I don't care how they respond. That's on them now, not on me. Like, I'm free of it. And I just want to say this because I believe in the sovereignty of God, not like in the extreme that we're just robots, but I do believe God does things sovereignly. And you're sitting in this building this morning on April 22nd at 12.08. And I just believe it's a super divine holy moment and that you're not here by accident. All of us deal with offense. And all of us have the ability this morning to walk out of here completely free of it, to give it to God. Thank you for listening to the East Coast Believers Church podcast. We hope you were blessed by this message. For more info about this podcast or other resources, visit eastcoastbelievers.org.